The Chef Nas Podcast begins now. Welcome to the Shep Naz Podcast. Last week, the South Central Ohio District Church of the Nazarene hosted the 2023 camp meeting at the Hocking Hills Retreat Center in Logan, Ohio. On yesterday's podcast, our district superintendent, Dr. Sam Barber, began to share a message originally preached by John the Baptist. We learned how John confronted them with the truth, and today we learn his call to action. John's been wailing away in this message. And finally, the people say, what should we do? I read it to you just a few moments. It was in the passage. What should we do? To a similar question later in the book of Acts, the apostle Peter will answer, repent and be baptized. Guess where the apostle Peter got his message? John the Baptist. (laughs) John preached a message of repentance that led to forgiveness that was marked, that was sealed by baptism in the Jordan River. Well, after the Spirit brings that kind of conviction and those people come to that moment, what we call oftentimes in our tradition a crisis moment. Like there's a, there are moments when we just have to make a decision. It's either going to be or it's not going to be. That's not the end of it, but that's an important moment when we make a decision. Am I going to follow Jesus or am I not? The crisis in their lives then pointed them toward a process. Now stay with me on this. I don't want you to get lost on this. Understand there's nothing like a great moment. I get that. Do you remember? I remember my first roller coaster ride. 1975. Nine-year-old Sam. Oh, I was handsome. Devastatingly handsome then. (laughs) And we lived near Kings Island. And Kings Island had a roller coaster. Back then they called it the Red and the Blue Racer. Okay, my people. Before you went upside down and they strapped you in and hung you by the neck and all that, they just set you down in the car and they said, good luck. And they pulled a lever and away you went. And I'll never forget it. You know, I was just past the thing where it says, you must be this tall to ride. And I was like, yes. And they put my little skinny body in there and they pushed the thing down and I went click, 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 click. And there was like still lots of room between me and the last click. And I was like, okay, well, let's go anyway. And we did. And it was thrilling. Do you remember your first roller coaster? Have you ever ridden one? Do you remember your first glimpse of something majestic like the ocean or the Grand Canyon or the Rocky Mountains? Because I do. I was a little bit older than that Kings Island trip when we went to the Rocky Mountains for the first time. And I want to tell you something. I've never gotten over it. The American West mesmerizes me. I have a new bucket list. Jill knows about this. Once a year until we die, I want to go to the West. I just want to see it. I've tried to convince her to bury me out there, but she's struggling with that. Maybe you can help me. Anyway. I remember my first kiss. I'll say this person's name. It's no one you know. But her name was Lori Brown. It was a second grade. It was real. (laughs) Later that same day, another girl named Stacy punched me in the nose and bloodied my nose. (laughs) It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. (laughs) There's nothing like a great moment, right? There's nothing like a moment because you say, whoa, that was incredible. But a moment is fleeting, yeah? 
John knows and proclaims to this group that a dip in this river isn't going to necessarily change their lifestyle, but it's a beginning. In the message paraphrase of this same passage, here's what Eugene Peterson wrote for us. He said, when crowds of people came out for baptism because it was the popular thing to do, John exploded. Brood of snakes. What do you think you're doing slithering down here to the river? Do you think a little water on your snakeskins is going to deflect God's judgment? It's your life that must change, not your skin. If you don't have a copy of the message, you might ought to get one. That's pretty good stuff. John knows that the waters of the Jordan River are in no sense magical. And John calls these people who have come out here for all manner of reasons, but when the Holy Spirit begins to work in their lives, John calls them to surrender in this moment and to lasting change that only God in a growing relationship can bring about in their lives. God calls them to a moment and then to an experience. Now I want to talk to us about that today. I want to talk to you about that today. There are moments for sure, but what's after the moment? This may disappoint you about me. It's okay. I'm a tremendous disappointment to many. The Groundhog Day movie I have watched multiple times. Bill Murray. And if you say, we don't watch movies, you probably have a TV and it's on TNT sometimes for 14 hours in a, in a row, right? It's the Groundhog Day movie. Essentially, the idea is this uh, sort of dejected newscaster winds up having to live the same day over and over again. And it turns out that that day is Groundhog Day. And it's kind of a clever film. He winds up every day, the alarm goes off. I think Cher is singing some song or whatever. And he just lives the same day over and over and over until he knows everything that's going to happen. And I want to suggest to you today that it's possible to live your Christian experience in that way. What does that mean? It means this. It's possible that you think that the sum total of your Christian experiences is essentially to recreate that crisis moment that you had over and over and over and over again. So you show up at places like this year after year and, you, and you're seeking God in the same way that you sought Him last year. And I want to say to you, stop living a Groundhog Day kind of Christian life. Because what God wants to do is to meet you at a place like this or anywhere for that matter and have that moment where you change your mind and He changes your heart and then you begin a journey together. So by the time you show up here next year, you're not where you used to be. You're somewhere else because you've been walking with Jesus. Amen? That's the idea. It's not that we're not for those kinds of moments where we make decisions. We absolutely are. But what comes next? Stop practicing Groundhog Day. Christianity, well, when that point of the, of the sermon came by, then John gets real practical. So John's been preaching it hot. The people fall into conviction and they say, what are we supposed to do? And John begins to tell them. And so he says, if you got two shirts, you need to give one of them away. And all of us are like, well, I got a lot of shirts. And so you're all headed home tonight to go through your closet and go down to the Goodwill or wherever American Legion dropped those off. No, no. Understand this. In the first century... Everyone that you would read about in the Bible was essentially living a sustenance kind of living, subsistence kind of living, hand to mouth, day after day. It was not possible for them to necessarily have all of the things that we have. So if you had two shirts, it was a big deal. 
And John says, if you've got two, you ought to give one away because you are called when you decide that you're going to follow Jesus, that you will love the people around you and the people around them were poor and unloved. And it takes a surrendered heart to move past self and truly see the other. It is hard to hear. It brings me to tears occasionally. Are you listening? John is calling them to generosity. And then he talks to them about food. And essentially, he's describing to them a call to live in community. So what is John saying? He's saying, all of you people who are so content with your lives, all of you religious folks who like to parade around and tell everybody how righteous you are, if you've got extra, you ought to be giving that away. And if you've got food to share, you need to live in community with other people. And essentially, this is what the church of of Jesus Christ does in Acts chapter 2. Remember Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and following? The believers were all together. They had everything in common. What's that mean? They were sharing their shirts and their food. Every day they continued to meet together and they broke bread in their homes. What John is describing is what the church eventually begins to embody. And then there's some tax collectors. Think about this. The people who were despised as agents of the enemy in that community. Those people hear the message that John is preaching and they fall under conviction in the same way. They were practicing wealth at the expense of others. And that was a huge issue in the first century. These were the kinds of people who were working as agents for the uh, occupying army. And so when you and I, if we were people in that community, came to them, they would say, here's your taxes, only it would be an inflated number. And they would take a little bit of that and put it in their pocket or use it for some other purpose. That's a tax collector. And many times these were people from who were Jews, who had decided that they would work for the empire. They were despised and hated. Yet when John preached this kind of message, when the Holy Spirit got involved, those people who were listening, even the tax collectors said, I've got to do something about my life. Because that's the way God's Spirit works. This would mean, as you know, great loss for the tax collector and for the local government. And I don't know if you remember, but do you remember what ultimately happens to John? his head it becomes separated from his body it's no wonder when you get in the crawl of the government like that and some soldiers you know who these soldiers were right this is the same crowd that would eventually torture and kill Jesus these people are standing around these people are there because it's a spectacle and they've probably been invited to keep the peace and even the soldiers begin to fall under conviction because of the power of the Holy Spirit Remember, conviction is that sense that God wants to do something in their lives and they can't quite describe it. Describe it, And so finally they say, what about us? Can you imagine that scene? What should we do? John says, stop extorting money from people and th- stop trying to do might makes right. Stop trying to say, well, this is my job. This is what I've been ordered to do when really it wasn't. And that was going on all over the place. All kinds of oppression at the hands of those soldiers. I want to tell you that when God falls on a scene, there is uncanny power. When God shows up, even the people who are just there watching, even the people who just showed up to keep the peace, even those people began to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And they say to themselves, what is it that we're supposed to do? And while we're thinking about what was going on in the banks of the Jordan River, let's think about what we should think about on the banks of the Hocking tonight. Consider what John might say to us do you think John wants to talk to you about how many shirts you have and what you do with them maybe 
And if God the Holy Spirit is encouraging you to be more generous with those who are around you, do it. Do you think God wants to talk to you about the food that you have? Probably he does because he reminded us when we prayed to pray that we would be given our daily bread. And that reminds me that I could share it with someone else. But what if there's something more that God would say to us? I think there are a couple of things. As I think about us and I think about me, as I think about the culture in which we live and the lives that we live and the way that we are courted by the media, courted by the culture, invited to be a part of everything that seems to look good and feel good, I think the thing that John might say to us is this in the first place. One, get over yourself. Now, I don't mean that just to be sort of shocking. I mean it to be heard like this. The sanctified believer, in other words, the person who has come to a decision to follow Jesus and is in a growing relationship with Jesus, and God is shaping that person's personality and thoughts and life and priorities, that person always operates from the following priority system. Are you ready? Number one, God and God's will first. Two, others and their needs. Three, me and my needs. And the moment when we decide that our needs are primary, we're out of line. And the moment that we look at someone else and say, I'm surely more important than that person, you're missing it. Because the priority system of a sanctified believer is God first, others second, me somewhere down the line. Do you hear me? You got real quiet on that. It's that time of year again. We're getting ready for the church-wide picnic. It will start at 4 p.m. on Sunday, August 6th. Come prepared for some group games with maybe some water balloons or an egg toss. Try your hand at cornhole and a little mingle bingo. Oh yeah, there will be prizes. We're giving away a $75 gift card to the new eatery in Johnstown, Ghost Rider Public House. Also, a $50 gift card to Wits and $25 to Troyers. This church-wide picnic is getting a little wider this year because we're all packing up and heading to Lenly Hannah's Memorial Park in Johnstown. We're planning to sing a couple worship songs, officially install Nick Shaner as the Johnstown campus pastor, and welcome several new members into the Shepherd family. I almost forgot, there'll be food at this picnic too. The church will supply burgers, hot dogs, and bottled water but we need your help for the rest. If your last name starts with A through M, we're asking that you bring a salad or side dish. N through Z, you have the important task of bringing desserts. Mark your calendars now. Churchwide Picnic, August 6th at 4 p.m. at Len Lee Hannah's Memorial Park in Johnstown. Don't miss it. We must learn as followers of Jesus after that moment when we decide that we're going to follow him, when we begin to grow with him that he must be first and everybody else next. That's the way we are called to live. That's the first thing John would say to us. Here's the second. Get your kingdom right. All over your world, the one that you live in, when you walk out these doors, there are a zillion little kingdoms all vying for your allegiance. What they want for you to do is to call them king, to pay them homage, to pay them your resources, to give your life to whatever it is that they have to offer. All kinds of little kingdoms. We've got to get our kingdom right. 
We are not necessarily to be citizens of those kingdoms. We are to be primarily citizens of this kingdom that John described. We are primarily to be citizens of the kingdom of God. And John wants to remind those people who are present that day, you are victim to all kinds of kingdoms, but I'm here to point you toward the one who embodies the kingdom of God, and his name is Jesus. John perpetually said, it's not about me, it's all about him. And if you want to know what the kingdom looks like, look at him. If you want to know what God's look like, God looks like, look at Jesus. And I believe that John would say to us today, be careful because your kingdoms are messed up. Your allegiances are going in a whole bunch of different directions. Come back and let Jesus be Lord. We got to get our kingdoms right. And so when John baptizes those believers, do you know what they're doing? He's inviting them to say no to all of these things that have been defining their lives and yes to Jesus. And when he points to Jesus saying, behold the Lamb of God, what he's saying is there he is. That's the kingdom. That's the model. That's the one we follow. The way he lives, that's the way we are to live. Billy Huddleston taught us that Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom of peace. Remember that? He proclaimed that to us on at least three of the occasions that he preached to us. I want to tell you today that his kingdom is also a kingdom of holiness where God is first and we put the needs of others above ourselves and eventually somewhere God takes care of us. But God's kingdom is first and that's what holiness looks like. And this is a kingdom of power but not in the worldly sense. This kingdom's power comes in surrender and serving, not in oppression and extortion. And so I want to tell you something today. If the kingdom that you value, if that thing that gets you out of bed in the morning and excites you, if that thing that fills up your newsfeed or fills up your head or is very evident in your language, if the kingdom that you serve relies on manipulation and force and ridicule and deceit, you are not serving the kingdom that John declared and that Jesus embodied. And you've got a kingdom problem. But I have good news for you today. Jesus came to help you straighten that out. John declared that. So we might say, like those people who were standing on the banks of the Jordan, what should we do? I mean, in light of all of this, what should we do? The good people of South Central Ohio, Church of the Nazarene, who've gathered here in this tabernacle tonight, we need to ask the same question as those on the banks of the Jordan. And here's my response. I think it's John's response. Come to the threshing floor. Some of you are like, man, I was hoping for something way cooler than that. Verse 17 of this passage that we've been reading. As John's winding up this sermon, he's been proclaiming all of these things, working his way through. He finally gets to verse 17 and he says this, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That's the message that John proclaims. That's what Jesus is going to do, he says. So do you know anything about ancient grain? I, don't, I think there's a cereal called that. That's not what I mean. 
I mean the kind of grain that grew out of the ground and so when it was time to harvest that, somebody had to do something with it and they didn't have combines and all that kind of stuff. So you go out and cut that stuff down and then you carry it in sheaves and then eventually it goes to what's called the threshing floor. And on the threshing floor, a couple of things could happen. It could be that somebody would take handfuls of that grain and pound it against like a, a board or something in order to break off the parts that no longer matter so that the good grain could be left. Or they might bring in an ox or a donkey and have it trample on that stuff so that under the power of those hooves, all of the stuff that wasn't good to eat would be crushed and break away, and then there would be the good grain. That's threshing. Do you understand it? Doesn't it sound wonderful? Don't you wish you were a thresher? That's a lot of work. And then there's winnowing. So basically, winnowing could be done in several different ways, but one of the ways it could be done was with your hands. Another way would be with a fork, or picture a pitchfork. And the idea would be once that stuff is threshed and it's all laying there on the threshing floor, then there comes along somebody with one of those forks and they, they dig it down into that and they, I, they toss it up into the air in the hopes that when the breeze blows past, all of the chaff, all of the stuff that is not needed gets blown away and the grain, which is heavier, falls back down and then they come in later and gather up the grain. Threshing and winnowing. Well, I did a little, more, little bit more research and it turns out that the stuff that they call chaff the stuff that gets blown away is enormously flammable. It's so dry and it's so flammable that all it needed was a spark and woof, that stuff would go up in flames. So when John is describing all of this, he says that in essence, this Messiah who is to come, this Jesus, is going to come with his winnowing fork and he's going to take the stuff of our lives that no longer matters and separate it from the stuff that he wants to give to us and he's going to take all of that stuff that is no longer any good and poof, it's gone and instead... There's something usable in the end. Something nourishing, something sustainable, something good, something usable. The result was a product suitable for consumption. So John is using grain as a metaphor for us. Here's the difference. Actual grain cannot resist, but you can Grain does not have a will. Grain is subject to the will of the harvester. But you, your grain, you have a will. You can decide, I shall not be threshed. I will not be winnowed. Or you can decide to crawl up on the threshing floor and invite God the Holy Spirit to begin to do the work in you. You say, what's that mean? Well, it's kind of a neat metaphor, but what does it mean? It means that the stuff that is no longer needed in our lives, the kind of stuff that God, and only God knows how to do this, can point out to us in moments like these, that kind of stuff gets separated from the stuff that God really wants to use. God can take those pieces of us, those parts of us, we might call them our failures or we might call them sins or we might call them those places of brokenness in us and God wants to be able to take those things away from us because God cares deeply about us in the first place and secondarily, he wants to take that person that he has redeemed and begin to use them in his service. And so it's essential, church, that we come to the threshing floor and we invite the impurities and the chaff of our existence and our failures and our faults and our mistakes and our poor choices and our lousy attitudes and our vicious thoughts and our unrighteousness. We need to take all of those things and willingly place those before the Lord on the threshing floor. And the Holy Spirit begins that work right away.
there'll be some knocking off of the impure things. Are you willing to let that happen? Are you willing to let God begin to work in your heart and mind right now in this moment and begin to point to some things in your life and say, you know that. And you're like, not that, Lord. That's cool. That's not a thing. I'm, we're not talking about that. And the Lord's like, no, we need to talk about that. Are you willing to let that thing come before him? Because he wants to trample that, so to speak. He wants to thresh that. There's going to be some winnowing. The wind of the Spirit pouring through and blowing away all the impurities. And I pray that the fire of God, a language, a metaphor from the New Testament, falls in such a way that all of that stuff that is no longer needed in our lives is just taken away from us, burned up as it were, removed so that we no longer have to deal with it. In the surrender that we willing grain can make, we emerge then righteous and useful. Did you hear those two things? Righteous and useful. God does not save us. God does not sanctify us so that we can sit idly by and anticipate glory someday. That's a wonderful benefit someday. But you've got something to do today and tomorrow. And that is, you begin to grow in that relationship with Jesus so that he can use you. You emerge from the threshing floor useful and righteous. So my question to us today is, are you ready to surrender to the threshing floor? To bring your life before this God and invite him to begin to work on you. It takes surrender not a popular topic in our culture. Am I right? We're Americans after all. Surrender's not in our language. Okay, as Americans, that's one thing. But as people who want to follow Jesus, it must be in your language. There is no other way. After all, our own Savior did what? Stretched out his arms on a cross and gave his life in surrender. You might sense what I talked about before, that conviction, that spirit of God that's just messing with you a little bit and you're thinking, it's surely not, that's not God talking to me. Probably it is. And listen, I don't know most of you very well, but if God's talking to you tonight, please don't waste that. Listen and just be obedient. I think it's possible that there are some of us who have sort of a groundhog faith mentality I just live this same experience over and over and I never grow any further than that, please. Let's grow past that into what God would have us to be. And I think there are some people who, like John was calling for in his day, who are ready for lasting change. Something that will really make a difference in our lives. And maybe you're here tonight and you're thinking, oh, there's some chaff in my life that needs to be burned away. I want you to know something today. As hard as John preached it, as direct as my message has been to you, at the end of it, there is a really loving Jesus who says, come to me and I'll help you. I'll forgive you and I will wrap my arms of love around you and we'll walk this out together. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message challenges you to take that next step in your relationship with Jesus. 
Will you allow God to do the threshing and winnowing needed in your life? Do you want to look more like Christ today than you did yesterday? We would love for you to drop an email to podcast at shepnaz.org and let us know. In that way, we can come alongside you to encourage you and support you with prayer and resources. Speaking of resources, you will find there are plenty at shepnaz.org, and you can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We hope you will join us this Sunday for our regular services at 9 and 1045 a.m. We'd love to see you in person or online. God bless, have a great day, and have a great weekend. This podcast is a production of the Shepherd Church of the Nazarene, Gehenna, Ohio. Email to podcast at shepnaz.org and let us know what you think.